Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeJoria, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. On this episode, it's funny car racer Alexis DeJoria and top fuel pilot Clay Milliken. Erica Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. Two fast and consistent cars from this season. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polachek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher! Wow! What an appropriate way to end this one! 28 10,000s at the strike! An instant classic final round! Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the NHRA Insider. I'm Brian Loans, your host, as we are gearing up again for the fourth week in a row, gearing up to go racing. This time it's going to be Worldwide Technology Raceway in Madison, Illinois, just across the Mississippi River from the city of St. Louis. It is the only place we race at where we actually stay in a different state drive across state lines every morning about a 10 or 15 minute drive from the city right out to the racetrack and boy looking forward to this one uh the dramatic stuff we've had happening over the last couple of weeks has been great the competition's been amazing uh weather has been on our side and will continue to be on our side this weekend as the forecast in st louis is gorgeous mid to low 70s friday evening you know not going to try to overshoot the moon here, but Friday evening has conditions the likes of which we see maybe once a year. And it is going to be dry, and it's going to be cool, and we have our evening qualifying, which will be broadcast live from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern on FS1. So hoping for everything to uh, come to fruition that we typically want to come to fruition in those conditions. We want to see people just getting very aggressive on a well-prepared racetrack and laying down the quickest possible elapsed times. Uh, Boy, I mean, let's talk a little bit about Charlotte. Uh, all kinds of stuff to talk about. First off, the television rating was enormous, which uh, we certainly were hoping it was going to be because of our uh, contract with Fox. We have a, a game, or one of our races, I should say, each season aligned with an NFL game um, on one of their single-header weekends. And, boy, that's exactly what we got, a peak audience of uh, something over 2.5 million, an average audience of about a million and a half, and uh, the largest NHRA broadcast ever. And it was fantastic uh, for the sport, fantastic for uh, our team. We had Ron Tober involved on our broadcast. We had pretty much every tool in the box out on that one. And it was a great show to make, a draining show to make, an exciting show to make. And uh, I'm glad we put a good product out there for millions, quite literally, of people to watch and experience. The race itself. Wow, what do you want to talk about? We want to talk about uh, we want to talk about Brittany and Brittany and Steve. We want to talk about that moment in time, which was uh, an oddball moment in time. It was a situation where there was a a test being run on the timing system. Uh, the cars had done their burnouts; they were backing up. Cars were fired. Scoreboards were being tested, and that's why the wind light was not in alignment with the actual winner. Uh, if you look at the time slips, the time slips you can go to NHRA Live Timing and look at them; they're right there. Uh, you will see the fact that that Brittany did win the race, and uh, the Capco team was not uh, contesting the fact she won the race. There was a communication issue that uh, they were uh, not happy about, and I know that uh, they voiced uh, their concerns with NHRA, and and I think that'll be handled moving forward. But that was a moment. The Aaron Stanfield thing was a moment. Um, you know, to this point, the only thing I have seen is what you have seen. I, I don't. I do not have any additional access uh, in this situation to see kind of some sort of a smoking gun, you know, situation that would point out as to what happened. Now, I have been told that uh, when I get to the track on Friday, I'm going to sit down with some folks and review some information. So I will let you know how that goes. But 
Um, like everybody else, I saw, at least what my lion eyes told me, was that uh, Wally Stroop left first and Stanfield had a uh, very ridiculous kind of almost three-tenths red light. And um, I wish I had an answer. I wish I had the, the the answer to say this is what happened. It was the angle of the sun reflecting off a, you know, a mouse. I don't know. It was something weird, but um, supposedly I'll learn more by the end of this week, and I will relay that. What I do learn, I'll relay it to you on next week's show. Corey Reed and Joey Gladstone getting together was a terrifying thing to watch. Um, Corey Reed has actually been released from the hospital, which is astonishing in so many ways. He uh, certainly has a long period of recovery ahead of him, but he's no longer in the hospital, which is always a good thing. And then, of course, uh, Gladstone decides to come back to the racetrack after riding in the ambulance. He gets in the gets on the bike, and Steve Johnson almost creams him at the top end. You know, Johnson comes across and hits that block at the top end and nearly creams Jay, uh, Joey. And um, and then you know Johnson was angry and and reasonably so. I mean, he was he was mad at himself. He was mad that he let one get away. He was mad that he didn't chop the throttle sooner. He was mad about all that stuff. And it came out, and we saw it, and it was a very human moment for Steve Johnson. The most soul-crushingly sad thing I believe I have ever seen uh, at a racetrack was Joey Gladstone post-final round. Gladstone goes up there against Angel, leaves on Angel. At 800 feet, has the race won, and the kill switch falls out, and the bike shuts off, and Angel is able to, um, you know, at the very last nanosecond, was able to catch him and drive around him. And this is not a situation where you're blaming Frangel for anything. It's her job. Show up and win the race. Mission Foods is, is funding that program. Mission Foods is the reason she's on that motorcycle. Winning races is the reason she's on that motorcycle. She's not up there to um, hand somebody a pat on the back. She's not up there to, to hand somebody a victory. Joey Gladstone wouldn't want that. He wanted to win that race, but he did not want to win it because somebody else felt bad for him. And somebody else, you know, decided to... Uh, to hand it to him he wanted to win it fair and square and for the vast majority of the drag strip he was doing just that and you know his um his emotions at the top end after that loss uh were just so raw and so real and unguarded and and there was just nothing left in his tank there was nothing left to to stop what you saw at the top end he was spent and overwhelmed and just in shock and very sad and, and and it was all those things and I respect Joey a lot I respect him as a competitor and as a person and I my heart was breaking for him and I think everybody's was to a degree and, and you heard the way Angel apologized to him for winning and it wasn't like a feigning shallow oh sorry man sorry I didn't go your way no this was this was a deeply conflicted moment for her which uh, you know she was weeping. I mean, we have footage of her at the top end of, of being very distraught. And for a couple of reasons, obviously, she's been racing uh, with the people of uh, Lafitte, Lafitte Parish, where she lives down in Louisiana, on her mind and on her heart, as that area was hit very hard by Hurricane Ida. She's spoken openly about how most of her people in her neighborhood don't even have power yet, so they can't even watch the race. And she's wanted for the last several races to go out there and win for them, which she did at the same time. She's a human being. She understands all the elements of Gladstone's story, all the awful stuff he'd gone through over the course of that day, only to find himself in the final round. And, you know, she was apologizing to him, and to his credit, he said, you won the race. You didn't do anything wrong. You know, don't don't, don't say you're sorry. You know, he was trying to be kind of reassuring to her, but the whole thing was just 
very, very... I'd never experienced anything like that in at a drag race. I'd never experienced a moment where you really didn't know how you were supposed to feel. I mean, a part of you is, part of you is very sad. You know, I mean, in my job, it's it's uh, objectivity is a thing, and I maintain it. I don't go up there rooting for anybody. I go up there, I, I view each race uh, with as open mind as I possibly can. Now, being a human being, being a guy that loves a good story, being a guy that loves sports, was Gladstone kind of where your where your heart was? Was Gladstone the idea of this guy conquering this day that was trying to conquer him? Was that where your heart was? Everybody's heart was there. I don't care who you are or what you do or what your job is. If you love drag racing and you followed the course of that day, that was the story. That was going to be the payoff. That was going to be the Hollywood ending moment. And instead, it wasn't. And again, you can't fault... Angel, and I'm not faulting Angel. I wasn't disappointed that Angel won. I was not rooting against her, of course. And the way she won, she won like a gracious champion and and, so, and a good human being, and that's what it was. Josh Hart, far less emotional roller coaster for Hart, but still a crazy day. Josh Hart, the first non-countdown participant since Morgan Lucas in 2014 to win in the countdown. How wild is that? Not only did he do it there. This is a guy who can do it multiple times with the races we have left, and he's going to be at all of them. So Josh Hart, you know, because of the fact he he got the season going and he got this stretch of races going later than he anticipated, is ineligible to win a championship. But, boy, he is certainly eligible to screw it up for everybody else. And if he if he keeps doing this, if he keeps kind of working as a almost as a wedge, kind of driving itself into the category each and every week, you know, we're going to start, and he will be somebody that hastens the end of those 8, 9, 10 cars. If he keeps winning rounds, he can't get in there, but he can certainly stymie them and, and make them mathematically ineligible to win the championship. And we're going to start seeing kind of that whole scenario begin to shake out, especially after St. Louis, because we'll have a clear picture. Three races out of seven in, we'll have a very clear picture. And for remember, for Pro Stock and Pro Stock Motorcycle, this remains a six-race countdown. So when we go to St. Louis, we do not have Pro Stock Motorcycle. When we go to Bristol, we do not have Pro Stock Car. That's the trade-off there. So, um, and of course, we have to talk about the funny car category. Was a uh, a great weekend. Tim Wilkerson, second win in three races. Who uh, who had that written down somewhere? Because it wasn't me. I mean, once he got that indie win, we we all kind of talked about the fact that, hey, maybe this is like a dam breaking open. Maybe this guy's going to actually really kind of get it together and, and start stacking up some wins. And guess what? He's doing that. We look at the the movement made by the 789 grouping and funny car over the weekend. That would be Alexis, Tim, and, and Cruz coming into the weekend. Tim and Cruz made big, big moves there. You had Alexis uh, in seven. She's only 93 points out of the lead in seventh place. And again, it's rising and falling chances. It's rising and falling fortunes. Bob Tasker, the third, second race in a row, just tough, 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 tough. First round losses are just not going to get you anywhere. And well, not out yet. If he does that a third time in a row, that is going to really kind of put the kibosh on on any hopes he would actually have about winning a title, in my estimation, because you're going to lose so much ground. The points that you don't gain and the points that others do, that's uh, kind of starts to compound on itself. And then in pro stock car, Kyle Koretsky. Boy, oh boy. And I said it to Tony on the show. I said, we this is a day you can take nothing for granted. 
And we kind of all looked at Greg and went, okay, got 97. That, that monkey's off his back. Here it comes again, 98, put it up on a platter. And lo and behold, Kyle Koretsky took him to the house. Greg was like 006. I think Kyle was 11 in the final. Right down to the stripe, brilliant pro stock drag race, and Kyle Koretsky gets his first ever Wally. It was uh, very, very special. And we look at Angel winning, we look at Koretsky winning, we look at Wilkerson winning, and it's like, my goodness. And then Hart wins. And those were a foursome of great racers that nobody had written down to win that race. There is not a single person, a single NHRA drag racing fan, when asked on Wednesday of last week, who are the four winners going to be in Charlotte, that it wrote those four names down specifically. So it makes the sport great, right? So it keeps us coming back, so it keeps us on the edge of our seats, so it keeps us entertained and happy as this whole year goes along. St. Louis, we have 21 top fuel cars entered. That means it will not just be the five cars that you expect not to qualify, and I say that not to be disrespectful when I look at entry list, but... You know, let's be honest here. We know that there are cars that can run in the 360s and the 370s and 80s and 90s. We know there are cars that cannot do that. And that's what it's going to take to make the field. So it's not being disrespectful to say that there are a handful of cars. You look at on the sheet and go, with 21 entries here, this is going to be an uphill you know, thing to do because it's real. But I would assume with some of these cars that we have that are infrequent competitors that are good tj zizzo being one of them that they will uh they'll they'll disrupt a little bit they can they can throw some good disruption into this entire thing and make qualifying a very interesting scenario in top fuel 16 funny cars so we're clear and full there plenty of pro stockers as well it's going to be a uh it's going to be a weekend to remember in st louis some for the good reasons some for the bad reasons before we get to our discussion with alexis DeJoria, i do want to mention the fact that this race historically comes with a fairly high mechanical toll. Remember, we go back two years ago. That was a Robert Hyde explosion. The body goes sailing off and crashes into the Jumbotron. That was the insanity of that weekend. Uh, typically, there is at least one Pro Mod crash a year at this race. Last year, it was 55 degrees, and the Pro Stock cars were so out of shape that they uh, stopped running Pro Stock in the middle of the event because it was just a, a safety problem. Of course, Alexis had a huge explosion, and, and who can forget one of the most scary iconic pieces of video in drag racing history was Leah's car snapping in two pieces on her way down the racetrack so there is plenty to think about with this St. Louis race with everything that's going on and and especially when we start talking about countdown points and everything else so that is the end of my rambling that was plenty and probably way too much all right so our first guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider is currently 93 points out of first place in the Nitro Funny Car category driving the Bandero Premium Tequila Rocket Phones Camry Alexis DeJoria how you doing Alexis I'm doing great thank you so it's a it's a pretty wild thing we've been watching all season long in in Funny Car and it's going to go all the way down to the wire if we say it one way we can say well you're in ninth place and that sounds all dramatic and bad but then we look at it you're four rounds out of first place this is insane um, so I thought we were seventh coming out of the last race. It's basically, <laughs> it's basically like a knot. I mean, you're 93 back. I'm looking at it right now just to verify, but I'm pretty sure, okay. I'm pretty sure you're within, you're basically one <laughs> round, you're like one round out of fourth at this point, the way it's all shaped up. It's, we're all super, super close. I think we're tied right now for, or no, uh, Timmy and somebody is tied for six. So then I don't know. It's really close, but, um. Yeah, we had a great race. We definitely 
we're on our way to win it. I think, you know, everything seemed to be lined up, so to speak. And then we did something that we never do and we smoked the tires right at the hit. So that was a huge bummer for all of us. We were super disappointed. Um, man, that, that, that definitely felt like it was going to be our day. Well, uh, luckily we get to race this weekend in St. Louis. Yeah. And that's, and that's one of the, the good things about uh, a four race stretch like we've had, it's grueling to some degree, but, uh, for a team like yours, it's had nice success, some consistency, uh, six or seven semifinals so far this year in, in the final earlier on in the season. This is the kind of weekend you want to follow up on quickly. Yes, it is. Most definitely. Uh, you know, good qualifying and just making good consistent runs that, you know, carry over into Sunday. Cause we have these night runs that are great. You get to see the flames, you know, coming out of the pipes, but, uh, you know, Sunday morning is a totally different condition. So what we run, you know, Friday nights isn't necessarily going to hold up on a Sunday. Um, but just having that consistency, you know, not dropping cylinders, making sure everything's lined up at the right time. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, hopefully we will get a win at some point before the end of the season. We still have quite a few races to go. We do. And that's, and that's the glory of, uh, of this time of the year. It's a lot of anticipation for every one of these races. And especially again, it, with how much of a not funny car is. And, and I've, I've gone and looked, I'm actually looking at it right now. The reason I said ninth was because of the awesome NHRA.com website. So there are, to Robert Hyde and Wilkerson are tied for six, so that shifted everything down one spot. So yes, you were correct. Right. You were right where you um, knew you were, and I was wrong. Yeah, we're so. seventh. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure. Elon, Elon, my PR guy. I I made him check, double check. <laughs> he's he's good on the math. You know, yeah. speaking of math, um, you had a you drove a very very strong race last weekend in Charlotte, and I wanted to talk to you about that. About was it just was there anything? Were you more more comfortable than normal? I mean, we look at your performance. Uh, through the rounds of eliminations you were in, and it was statistically your best best race of the year. It was definitely one of them. Um, you know, good reaction times, better reaction times every time I went out. I was just ready. You know, um, we'd had a lot of co- a lot of races back to back, which I, I honestly love. Um, you know, the travel can be really hard on our on our lives and and uh, just uh, you know emotionally mentally it's just you know all the all the the flights and going back and forth and it's exhausting uh, but these back-to-back races I really enjoy because it be because it keeps us all sharp and um, you know you may not win or do well at the last race but you can make it up again you know a few days later yeah, and, and that I think that goes for all of us too. And and we are we are going to have a, a a week to take our breath uh, or to catch our breath after we get down in St. Louis this weekend before we go back to back with Dallas and Bristol. But you mentioned the travel and, and the time together as a team. Um, we happened to run into you guys at Indy. You were you were celebrating. I think it was Matt Bynum's birthday. We happened to be a couple of us from the from the TV crew reading at the same restaurant. And I want to talk yeah. about I want to talk about that element of it because you know it, it was kind of fun to see the group of people interacting as just people you guys were outside of the racetrack totally different environment how important is it that whole dynamic of this team and how it operates the amount of time you all spend together um it's crucial you know that that we pretty much get along these guys are on the road so much with each other sharing rooms sharing workspace um so yeah a lot of different personalities but luckily we have a really good solid team where everyone gets along and uh we try to do uh team dinners and you know when it's someone's birthday i mean just even like a a card a birthday card means so much to these guys that are on the road so much more than even the drivers and the crew chiefs are 
Yeah, it really does. And I think that's a it's a, it's a very thoughtful thing. And and secondly, it's like, you know, as, as weird as it is to say, or I don't know, mushy, whatever you want to say, it's it is important to get that reminder that somebody's thinking about you every once in a while, right? Exactly. That, that, that it goes beyond making sure the, 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 that the, the main caps are torqued down, right? Like someone's actually thinking about me at a human level here, and that's an important thing. Well, just showing appreciation for all the hard work and effort that they put into these runs. And, you know, the only, the only satisfaction that they really get is seeing the cars run, you know, perfectly and, and nothing going wrong and, you know, no, nothing breaking or blowing up and it running a good number. That's the satisfaction they get. I get to drive the car. And even if it doesn't run good, I still get to do burnouts. <laughs> I still get to launch in a nitro funny car. And I'm sure a lot of people wish they were driving them and they don't get to. So it's a very, you know, it's very gratifying being a driver. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, it's the gratifying position. It's also the lightning rod position, right? Because at the end of the day, we always end up looking at the person in the seat of the car whether yeah. whether whether they have anything to do with what's going on or not, that's always the, where the eyeballs go, for good or bad. Yes, no doubt, no doubt. And I, I'm, I'll be the first one to stand up and go like, well, that was my fault. <laughs> if it is, like, I'll, I take it pretty hard. And I know the crew chiefs do too, and the guys too. Like, at the last race, you know, they were bummed because we smoked the tires at the hit. And I was just like, hey, you know what? It's fine. It's a team. And, and uh, you know, today I drove really well. And you know, and unfortunately we smoked the tires, but you know, at the next race, like, you know, I might get beat on a whole shot. Hopefully not, but <laughs> you just never know. So yeah, you know, we join arms and, and we support each other and, uh, we move on. Yeah. And ultimately that's, this is how, this is how a winning culture, a winning team gets built. And, and those weekends where, you know, we've, we see it happen all the time. We see, we see races where get, that get won because one round the driver's able to pick up the crew chief a little bit. And the next round, the crew chief's able to pick up the driver a little bit. And, and those things t- tend to happen independently of each other. And then when a, when a, uh, the, all the stars align on a race day, that's when all these kind of acquired skills come to come to pass. I want to ask you about something that struck me as interesting at the time, and I hope you remember it. Um, this was at Brainerd when you locked yourself into the countdown. You got you got pretty emotional. Um, the the emotions kind of caught up with you at the top end when you were talking to Jamie Howe when you were going to sign your way into the into the countdown. Do you, can you remember that moment and, and kind of what what kind of um, what kind of caught up to you at that point? Yeah, I do. Uh, it was just frustrating because uh, I knew what a great team we were, and I knew, you know, we we should have, could have won a won a race by you know by now, and and so it was just frustrating le- uh, losing by by what was yeah. it two thousandths of a second. It was just like, tight. oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> and to go all that way and just lose first round. Uh, yeah, it was it was really frustrating, um, you know, and it takes a toll on you as a driver as a team uh it's exhausting so <laughs> yeah no and that's, yeah, it's, it's I, very, I mean energy valid. wise mentally everything i was just kind of spent at that point <laughs> and it and i think that's it's an element of this that is it's so difficult to get across to people uh people that love the sport kind of understand it but people that don't really that that are maybe more casual fans it's tough to get this idea across that What's so different about drag racing as opposed to any other style of racing is like it just stops. Like there's no like, oh, okay, well we'll try to get back on the lead lap. It just when the music stops on a race day, it just ends and and it's and it's crushing. I mean, as good as it can be, also it, on the other side of it, it's crushing and it's tough to it's tough to under, make people understand just how jarring that is. Right. So 
we look forward now to St. Louis. Uh, this was a race last year that was just uh, from from head to toe for for I think everybody in the place was just a kind of a horror movie. We had all kinds of crazy stuff happen. <laughs> you had the, you had the, the engine go away on you at the top end. It was just scary as hell. Uh, this weekend. It's going to be like normal temperatures. It's not going to be like 50 degrees like it was last year. Is, is there an element of going back to St. Louis where it's like, okay, you know, now, I, you know, I, you got me last year. I'm going to get you this year type thing. Um, I mean, you always want to do well at a track that, you know, the season before you had issues at. Uh, but St. Louis is a good track for us as far as, you know, getting good numbers, quick numbers. We run well there. Um, yeah. So I'm excited, and Friday's my birthday. Uh, oh, so awesome. hopefully we get an, uh, our first number one qualifier of the year. <laughs> That'd be the way to do <laughs> it. A little birthday luck wouldn't hurt <laughs> nobody. <laughs> no, but be- I, I'm just really, really proud of our team. Um, it's a great team. Uh, I feel really, really lucky to be with Dell and Nikki and, and everybody. Uh, you know that we get to work with. We got to handpick everyone, and and uh, yeah, that that's a recipe for for success. So. It's just a matter of time. Absolutely. And and teams, I think all these teams, no matter who's we look at, they all do reflect, they reflect the leadership. And that's the last kind of topic I want to, I want to chat with you about is the, what are the complementary skills that Dell and Nikki have? How do they, because I, I always find it interesting when we have these relationships with guys that have known each other for a long time, very highly successful in the sport. They seem to have the ability to put egos aside and work together very closely. So what do each of them bring to each other and the team? Um, you know, I think a balance, honestly, um, you know, Nikki and Dell are, are so different, but they've, they grew up together. They yeah. know so much about each other. They've gone through so much. Um, and they're just a perfect balance. You know, uh, Nikki's like a clutch pro, obviously with Bonifani yeah. friction. Um, Dell is just, he's done it all. He's driven a top field dragster and won a championship. He's driven nitro funny car all his life. I mean, he was the youngest licensed funny car driver ever in the history of the sport and um so and he's one as a as a tuner so i mean that that's just like that's gold right there that's priceless that knowledge it really is and and also having the ability to to work as a team i mean because listen you know i'm not gonna name any names but you can look back through through the sport and there are guys that that just wanted to be a solo act in that job and didn't want any input from anybody else and and to me, it's great that, that that's not how it operates. I think it's always great when you're able to have able to have those those differing opinions, and you get really two sets of eyeballs on to solve a problem that that one person may get lost in the weeds on. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, I mean, the the level of communication that we have back and forth between me, myself, the driver, and Dell and Nikki, the crew chiefs, is is really important as well. And we work really well together. Uh, and even when I had Dell as my teammate. Um, you know, we, we worked well off of each other and I could just go to him with any, any questions, anything at all. And, uh, he, he, he knew it. Like he had, he's experienced everything there possibly is to experience in a funny car. So, he, oh, he really has. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in front of God and everybody. Yeah. We've all seen, yes, we've exactly. all seen it. One last question before I let you go. And, you know, when we look at the nitro funny car category, we see, so many successful single car teams, whether we're talking about you, Cruz, Tasca, uh, we can go down the line. Wilkerson, obviously, who's been on a tear these last few races, and yeah. I think that is, I think that is a great scenario for drag racing. I feel like that's the way that the whole 
sport is moving. I feel like that's a healthy direction to go to get, you know, more people out and, and to get more people involved. And I guess when you look at it, having been, you know, you've seen all sides of this thing. You've been part of big teams. You Now you're a single car operation. Which which side of it or why do you like the single car aspect of what you do? Because I feel like it's I feel like it's obviously succeeding for you guys, and you're just. I think we we went off it. of the Capco boys, uh, the Capco team, Steve, and uh, we honestly we thought you know if they could do it and do it really well and, and be successful at it, um, so why can't we? Yeah, um, it's uh, there's benefits of of being on a multi cart team. Obviously, when I raced with Kalita, um, that was phenomenal because you had that that like family aspect of it when one car goes down everybody's joining behind the other car and it's like you have that camaraderie between the teams um and then you can use some information and then they have all the the big machines back at the shops and an engine room and all those things and and um you know when you're a single car team you might have to outsource for certain certain things um but it's a lot less uh I think of a headache sometimes just to have a single car team. Um, you know, not having a giant hospitality tent um, at the end of the day, it's it's a lot easier on the guys because they don't have to break it down and put it away. Um, you know, uh, there's just there's pros and cons with both. I don't like to see any teams go down oh, whatsoever, absolutely. honestly. Um, but if if more and more single car teams are proving to people that you can't come out here you know, and, and make it happen in that way, then, then so be it. I would love to see more cars show up. Um, you know, we went from one race of having 19 cars to 20 cars to, you know, only 13 or 14 yeah. at the next race. And um, we, jot, we just have to make it more feasible for, for, for more people to come in. Oh, that's an absolute fact. It's the, it's yeah. the single biggest, it's the single biggest thing that, that needs to be addressed and in a hurry in the sport and mm-hmm. and that's yeah. that's a non-deniable fact whatsoever but that being said uh the fact that you are out there the fact that you're competing succeeding and legitimately you are one round away from one one round wind away from uh from victory this year so it's been uh it's been fun to watch this team progress of course the consistency that you've shown you've only been uh you've only had four i believe first round losses the entire season which speaks to uh the work that's getting done over there so alexis thank you so much for coming on to talk to us good luck this weekend in st louis oh thank you so much friend i appreciate it all right, after a great conversation with Alexis DeJory, we now change gears to the top fuel category to catch up with the smiliest, fastest man on the property, Clay Milliken. What's happening, man? Man, it is all good. Making a quick stop by the house, wash clothes, wash the toter home, wash the dogs, and hit the road. <laughs> we got all kinds of stuff to chat about, but I want to zero in on on one thing to start with, which is first round last week. You were so fired up, we got a... We got a a Ric Flair woo out of you at, your end, at the end of your interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, this will sound really weird, but I, I was working on editing my YouTube video, and, and uh, I just watched that clip right before you called, and, and I kind of did. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, I had a little woo in there. <laughs> that was awesome, dude, because I mean, it was, to me it was great because it was like you were fired up, and for good reason. That was a squeaker, man. It was crazy. It, it really was. I mean, when you know, Langdon, in my opinion, is one of the best out there. I mean, the guy not only is, is a, a champ in, in the nitro car, he's also a champ as a sportsman racer. And 
believe me, I know that there's plenty of sportsman racers out there that'll whoop your butt and yeah. Langdon's at the top of that page, you know, and so anytime you can turn a wind light on against him, it, it, it fires you up. He's had a couple of these over the years where he's been able to catch guys, and as I was watching him close in on you, I'm thinking, oh man, this is gonna be a, this is gonna be tight. And I think what was the speed differential at the finish line? Was it close to 100 miles an hour or 70 miles? It was something ridiculous. It, it was a lot, but let me just tell you real quickly how good Langdon is. So, you know, he knows who leaves first. He, you know, he's able to watch the stage bulbs and see whose bulbs goes out, that sort of thing. And so we were both kind of laughing you know, when we got out of the car and he's like, I had to be within like seven hundreds looking at the finish line. I'm like, golly, this guy's good. You know, he he could just tell by where we were at, you know, it was crazy. Seven, seven hundreds, whatever, you know, whatever the numbers were. And, and it was definitely a big, big difference. I was over there, you know, whacking on that loud pedal, trying to get it down through there. Didn't know where he was at. And then once I kind of gave it one final little squeeze and I was looking for my bulb to come on, room boy, he went just zooming by. You know, I was like, woo, that was close. <laughs> what, uh, and I know you I know you and Clover talk on the radio. What was the, uh, what was the initial conversation after that one? <laughs> he just said, good job, you won that one for us. And I'm like, oh, I did a horrible job because I never could get the car squared back up to just like really, you know, lay off into it and stay with it. You know, the car just yeah. kept wanting to, point left and right and uh you know so he he was uh, patting me on the back and i was kind of going man you did a horrible job but got away with it <laughs> that's good me yeah. and clover do have some some great conversations on the radio all of their very brief during the uh, parachute time you know but <laughs> it's some of them are very interesting for sure you know, it's been a, um, you know, I, I certainly would consider this a strong year for you guys. Multiple final rounds, of course, the back-to-back finals uh, and the not-too-distant past. Uh, you know, it's been a couple of second-round losses the last few weeks, but um, I think it speaks to the, obviously, to the competitive nature of the class. I mean, it's ridiculous, and we look at what the capability that, that you guys have continued to show in qualifying, I think, is is impressive to all of us. I mean, when we when we get into a night where you look at the barometer and you look at the temperature and you think, okay, if this is where the premier teams are going to go in the 360s, bam, there you guys are right there in the 360s. It's, it's pretty fun to watch. It, it really has been. I mean, I'm so impressed with, you know, Mike and everybody on the team. You know, we're uh... – we are just like being a pain in the butt to the uh, the factory teams, you know, and I love that. You know, we're obviously, a, you know, a single car team and and uh, Mike's been impressive. I mean, it, it just continues to amaze me. You know, we, we obviously we screwed up Indy, but that run in Indy was a monster. That thing was fixing to really, really get with the program. Oh, no, and then, the, yeah, the early numbers were crazy. Yeah, I mean, it really was. You know, the thing went – 834 60 foot but it did not clip that with the front wing i promise you no <laughs> you know, i mean the, the, yeah, the, jacked the, up the, the front, yeah the front end was was way, it looked like a little fuel altered or something man it was way up <laughs> and then to roll right back out at the next race and, and go 69 you know it just shows how good everybody is on this entire you know team they're they're putting the car together and it's just doing what mike asked it to do most of the time you know we've had some hiccups here and there but you know, this past weekend, obviously, we got the tires loose first and second round, and and we we think we have found what caused that. And and it was, you know, Mike said, "Hey, it's my fault." You know, I was trying to do some things that the car didn't want to do. But all in all, I mean, the entire year has has been pretty dang good. You know, we've we've had big numbers, we've had 
you know, lots of round wins. And, you know, the only thing we're lacking, and this is the one thing that me and Mike have never done, you know, we've got 50 IHRA national event wins together. We've got six straight world championships together. And I don't know how many freaking runner-ups we have in the NHRA, <laughs> but that's the one thing we haven't done is, is win an NHRA event together. But and we have a lot of runner-ups together. And, and I talked to Alexis about that earlier. It's like in her season, in a lot of ways, is, is mirror image to yours where, you know, it's been consistent, it's been fast, it's been all the things except that final round win on Sunday. So it is, uh, you know, it's the constant battle. One of the things that's always good to see on a race car is not just a new name on the race car, but an additional name. So last weekend, along with with Parts Plus and your normal slate of sponsors, uh, you added a real big name on the side of the race car. Let's talk about uh, talk about that and and how long is that? A, was it a one race deal or is that sticking around for a while? Well, you know that's it's pretty crazy, and I know we got limited time, and you know how much I love to talk. It's the but... internet, man. We can do whatever we want here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was scheduled to go to the IndyCar race in Nashville. You know, first one ever, street race, Nashville, big deal. I had, uh, you know, motorhome pass. I had I had everything, and, and me and Doug were going to go. Well, one young man named Dom Lagana come and asked me to drive his car. Well, naturally, I'm going to do that, yeah. and so that kind of left the, the IndyCar race high and dry for me, but Doug's like, I'm not missing it. So he went, and he ran into some of his, nascar buddies and one of them happened to be rick ware and he's like you know what i love drag racing you know i actually wanted to drive a fuel car when i was younger and and one thing led to another and the next thing you know we have nurtech otd on on the side of our car you know working together with rick ware on that and, and you will con- continue to see that and it was a it's a big deal i mean you know nurtech's involved with nascar they're involved with indycar and, and they're doing a lot of wonderful things with our military you know a lot of a lot of our military people come back and and, you know they have you know things from being in the military you know and battle migraines and that sort of thing and and their tech has been right at the kind of the the front of that helping helping those people and and it's pretty awesome and that that might have been part of my being fired up i knew we had uh you know a couple of nascar guys on the starting line watching me wheel the car you know and it's like hey I'm supposed to go straight, but I can work this wheel left and right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And listen, pal, I'm a race car driver too here, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Garrett Smith, who was out there, and uh, and I think he had, a, uh, I think several other drivers had migrated through, but I know off of Rick Rear's team that uh, that Smithley was out there, and he had had a uh, a really good yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Garrett was there. James Davison was there, and of course, you know, Rick Ware, like I say, he fields multiple nascar teams and and he's got ramon and indycar and they had a great finish this past weekend you know they were on the podium and it, it's really cool you know uh to obviously our our world and the nascar world has mixed before you know we've had the parts plus on a nascar before we had walmart out there and so you know doug stringer's got such a, a connection over there that we've been able to do those things but nothing at this level before you know it's been really really fun working with those guys and and we'll we'll continue to do that it's it's pretty awesome and, and listen, I you know beyond um, beyond just your team, I think it's a big deal for for a bunch of different reasons. But you know, for me personally, as a you know, I, I guess I I have a vested interest in the success of the sport as well. But as a fan, it's like 
I don't normally see like I don't normally see the names of a like a Highline pharmaceutical on the side of a drag car, which is huge. Like I see a lot of obviously tools, car parts. I see a lot of the traditional, you know, endemic sponsors to what we do. But when we start to see some of this crossover, when we start to see you know NerdTech on the side of a car, to me that strikes me as a big deal because it's like okay, this means somebody's paying attention over here, and the fact that uh, the fact that they saw value in in kind of expanding to be part of drag racing is huge. And I think as we've all been hearing these rumors that continue to swirl about now multiple things, kind of NASCAR related, and and people dabbling in drag racing or becoming more involved in drag racing, I really think it's a big big thing for our sport, and I think it speaks to some increased recognition out there that we have a lot of value for people. A hundred percent agree. I mean, and that's exactly what, you know, Rick Ware was saying. He's like, man, you know, NHRA drag racing is so fan friendly. We can do so many more things in drag racing that they can't do, you know, in the NASCAR world. And, and it, you know, it, it just shows that, you know, you and Tony and everybody on the, the whole entire, you know, television side of things are doing a great job. I know our viewership was huge and, Everybody in NASCAR is paying attention, you know, and so obviously Nurtek thought it was a good fit or they wouldn't have been on the side of our car. You know, it, yeah. it is definitely, to me, showing that I don't care what the keyboard warriors are saying, drag racing is pretty healthy. You know, it really is. I mean, we're, we're trending in the right direction. Yeah. Yes, we, we all know we've had some short car counts here and there, but yes. that has not kept the fans away. It has not made the racing any worse. At all. I mean, in my opinion, I think the Nitro classes right now are as competitive as they've ever been, and and people are paying attention, and it's pretty awesome. You know, if uh, if we can continue doing this, you know, we'll continue to uh, have jobs, and I love my job. Yeah, that's a fact, and and look, I think there's a couple things you brought up there 100% true. The car count thing is, is, and Alexis brought it up, and we discussed it as well, it's like it is the single biggest, I think, issue that needs to be tackled by the NHRA by the, the management of the company and you know as a guy who you know works here so to speak uh I can tell you that they're 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 not ignoring this problem that this is not something that they feel is just going to ma- magically heal itself and I know that there's a lot of effort going on uh behind the scenes moving forward to to make sure that we create an environment where we don't have to have the 12 car 13 car conversation anymore and then the second thing is you know one of the it, it's always a mystery to me like we go to Maple Grove, basically sell the place out three days straight. Like Friday was, I would say, 90, 95% full. And then Saturday and Sunday was was freaking insane at that place. And the spring race at Charlotte always crushes on the on the fan count. But the fall race, it just has never really drawn a lot of people. And, and I know there's, you know, you got NFL weekend, and I think the Panthers are at home, and there's, you know, a billion other reasons why people are maybe staying away from big events these days for, for the time being. But it is frustrating to me when you come off the energy of Maple Grove and you go to this beautiful racetrack in Charlotte, which is enormous, and you're like, damn, where is everybody, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I agree, and you're 100% correct. The fall race has always been that way. Before COVID, it was yeah. that way, you know, but there was a, there's a lot of things that were going on this past weekend, you know, obviously I, I was very much aware of what happened, you know, in the NASCAR world, they were in Bristol, yes. Bristol's not that far away, no, you, it know? Is not. So I think you, <laughs> you know, it's Rick Ware and, and, and all that crew, they literally drove over to the NASCAR race and came back for Sunday, you know, so I mean, it's not that far, but you know, your average fan is like, they're going to pick one or the other, you know, and yeah. that's part of it. But, man, Maple Grove, I was so fired up 
I bet you it was five or six deep on the fence for the whole racetrack. It was crazy. It was so crazy. You know, that's like uh, kind of a throwback sort of thing when, you know, the fence is crowded. It's like, hey, you probably could find somewhere to sit, but no, I'm going to stand on the fence. I was that same guy. You know, I want to be right there. I want to feel it and hear it when they come rolling by, you know. And listen, St. Louis is going to be the same way. I mean, uh, having uh, having talked to the track operator out there and, and our weather forecast is beautiful and it's not going to be 55 degrees like it was last year. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be another blowout this weekend. And, and I want to talk about St. Louis a little bit because, you know, last year was just such an anomaly. I mean, it was it was almost a race – I you know I, I never say this but like when that race was over I was almost happy it was done because usually I want these things to go on forever but my god every run on Sunday was like clench your teeth and just hope the guy or girls make it to the finish line I do not foresee that being the case this year oh I agree and uh, I was sitting here the moment you said last year St. Louis I was trying to rack my brains and if memory serves me correct we got one qualifying run there yes um, yeah, and, it was uh, freezing cold. It was, it, yes. it, and it, we had a live. And I'll tell you exactly why I remember all this is because it was it was horrendous. It was a horrendous session in top fuel. <laughs> one car went down the racetrack. It was Tony Schumacher's car made a clean lap, and I think he might have been the first guy out. And then after that, <laughs> not a single car went more than about five feet. And it was like, and and we were live, and it was not like a live to tape. It was a live live show, and it's like, oh, just please. Maybe the power will go out. We can just go off the air right now. <laughs> uh, that race, very much like Indy this year for me, was one that I, I tried to put out of the memory yeah. bank. But by the time it was, it was my spot. You know, it's time for me to go down the racetrack. I was like looking at the board, and you know, I needed to run like eight yes. seconds, eight whatever, which a top fuel car can do in reverse after the burnout. Let's just be honest. <laughs> What do I do? Stand on the gas, push the coupler out of the rear end. That's right, too, the coupler. Yes, do the coupler out of it, and and it goes about 11 seconds. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that was actually, I think you might have provided the second most compelling moment of the session because we were like, how quick is it going to coast to the end of the racetrack? You know, you're kind of like running your mental stopwatch, and I know you were in there. You were in there running a totally different, uh, different watch at that time. Oh, but yes. Yeah. What a that was a cursed weekend. But ultimately, it's a great racetrack. It's a great facility, and I'm really happy for the fact that they're going to get what should be a really killer crowd this weekend because they're talking about like highs in the mid 70s, no chance of rain. All the problems we had last year are gone, including yours. I guarantee you it's going to be an awesome weekend. I mean. For me, that is the closest racetrack to the house. You okay. know, even though Bristol is my home track, St. Louis is actually closer, and it is beautiful outside. And we're going to have great weather, and I think it'll be packed there. And and that racetrack is awesome. I mean, I've, I've got some great memories there. We did set the national record there for two, three, four years ago, whenever that was. You know, we went to sixty-three there, so it's a great surface and. And we all know when the weather's right what these things can do. They, they, they can blast right down through there. They really can. And, you know, one of the things I think that's been so impressive, as you mentioned, like it's not necessarily a quantity game this year with cars, but it's certainly been a quality game, is it, the reality is like the races you've gone to the finals in, it's not been everything's so tight. Everything is so tight, and that's why when we see we see teams succeeding, especially we see some different teams succeeding in this countdown now, it 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 makes it very interesting. It's not just a it's not just a cakewalk for anybody. It's not just a walk away. And I think t- 
to this point in the year now, it is less predictable in top fuel than it has been to any other point. Oh, I mean, without a doubt. I mean, we all know that, you know, Steve Torrance and, and everybody there, they're still the team to beat, but they, uh, you know, they dominated, you know, the, the start of this countdown, you know, and so it's, it's really anybody can win at any time. I mean, you got, you know, Josh Hart showing up and he's, he's a handful of races. He's won two of them, you know, so yeah. you just, you don't know what's going to happen. And I'm just hoping that, uh, it's our turn coming up soon. Like I say, I, won't, <laughs> I always want to win, but I just really, really want to get a win, you know, with, uh, with Mike and, and obviously with, with all of the, the Rick Ware stuff we've got going with Nurtech, I mean, it would be just really, really cool that you already mentioned it, you know, companies like that looking at drag racing, you know, we want to, we want to show out and St. Louis would be a perfect place for it because again, it's close to home for me. Our race shop's only a couple hours away and there'll be tons and tons of family there, friends, and that always makes it even better. You know, one of the things I want to bring up before we get done, as you mentioned, Mike, uh, several times for good reason, great crew chief and certainly a guy who uh, you have an incredibly close personal relationship with as well. Um, I think one of the things that fascinates me about your team is we look at the makeup of the people on this team and they came from different places. They've come together. Your guy's car, and I say this out of respect because we see other cars that can't do this, you guys don't suffer for mistakes being made by uh, on the assembly or the turnaround, right? I mean, listen, you smoke the tires, that's just you're trying to get down the racetrack and things happen. But we don't see this team making, I want to say, sloppy mistakes. And I think that has to be a huge thing, especially when a lot of these people hadn't worked with each other to start the year. Oh, I mean, 100%. You know, we've got, you know, a, a couple of people from Terry McMillan's team. Obviously, the one that always stands out to everybody is Kaylin. You know, she's... yes a lady that uh, does the clutch. And when I say she, you know, she, she literally, she does it. Whatever Mike tells her, boom, it gets done. I mean, so she come from Terry McMillan. We got Chris Newton is uh, our car chief. He was from Terry. So they were used to working together. And they were a group that had worked together. I think Kaylin had been there five years and Chris was there, you know. So they kind of got, you know, working together down. But when you bring in an entire mix of other people, you know, it all changes, you know, so we've got, you know, guys that, that have never worked on cars. We've got, you know, a guy that, that worked on a fuel car, you know, so it's, it's kind of a mix of people, but the one thing they have is the want to, and this, that's a, that's a mama Milliken line right there. They have the want to, they want to win, you know, uh, some of them have never won, you know, and, some of them have, you know, I mean, obviously Kaylin and Chris won the U S nationals with, with Terry, but as a group, they've got the want to, and that's, that's all you can ask for. You know, if people want to, they will, they will make it happen and they want to win. They don't want to be the, the weak link. You know, most of the time the weak link comes down to uh, me or Mike, <laughs> you know, one of the two of us. And if you on yourself, no, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh it's not been them. They're, they've been so impressive. And, you know, and a lot of times they spend way more, more hours than the factory teams just because, you know, we may not have the depth of some of those teams. And so, you know, we, we spend a little bit more time than most massaging and, and loving the parts and pieces we have to make sure that they're the best that we can possibly make them. You know, it's a uh, perfect example of that is this past weekend, during qualifying, we pulled a main stud out of the block. You okay. know, it's just one of those things that happened. 
Well, what do they do? They stay Saturday night. They take the crankshaft out of that motor and put it in another block so that we've got plenty for Sunday. You know, they were probably there till 1 o'clock in the morning reassembling a short block. You know, the factory teams don't have to worry about that. they got 10 of them in the trailer, you know, so they've got the want to. And, you know, I'm bringing out specific names and, and the rest of them. I should mention every one of them. They're amazing people that have that want to and, that's hard to find these days, but we're very fortunate that we got a group that, that wants to really bad. And, and I can't wait to uh, deliver that fourth wind light on a Sunday. You yeah. know, we've, we've got three, we've got three, and we've got to the final, but we just haven't, haven't finished it off yet, and, and we're going to. It's going to happen. You know, the car's good, the people are good. Just got to be the right time. And it, it will come sooner or later. It does, and uh, you know, you know this as well as I do. The hard work and the and the things that happen, you know, really when no one's looking, like that stuff uh, in the pits till one, two o'clock in the morning is is ultimately where success or failure comes from in this sport. It's it's we see the cars go down the racetrack, but it's the stuff nobody sees that actually that actually brings you to win lights and and. Uh, obviously, your team's uh, abilities, their hard work, their dedication is uh, is on full display here. So, man, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate catching up with you, Clay. And and it's uh, as always a pleasure to watch you guys race. It was a, certainly great to see Neurotech on the car and to have Rick Ware out there. And and really, uh, you know, Rick over the PA, you were in the car and uh, you know probably concentrating on things that other than what Rick Ware was saying on the PA system. But uh, he said some really nice things and and he spoke. Uh, you know, we spoke about uh, continuing some partnerships in the sport. So, as always, dude, great to chat. I hope everything uh, is going well for you, and I can't wait to see you this weekend in St. Lou. Man, I appreciate it so very much, and it is awesome to talk to you. The majority of the time, me and you are communicating via text, which seems to be <laughs> the way of the world these days. But uh, I do look forward to it, and uh, St. Louis is going to be awesome. Thanks, everybody. Clay Milliken is right about a lot of things, especially about the fact that St. Louis is, in fact, going to be awesome this weekend. We have uh, big coverage for you this weekend on FS1. All of our coverage will air on FS1. We have 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern uh, live on Friday evening. So if you want to catch some live qualifying, I mean, like live, live as it happens qualifying, 7 to 8 Eastern on FS1. Then we have a Sunday morning qualifying show or midday show. I believe that airs at noontime. And then our elimination show goes from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern on FS1. It is the fourth of four in a row for the NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series, and we'll really have a better handle as to who's in the control seat, if you will, who's pulling the levers in Top Fuel and in Funny Car for the countdown once we get out of there, because at that point, we will effectively be reaching the halfway point of the countdown, leaving us Dallas, Bristol, Vegas, and Pomona after St. Louis. If you live in the area, if you live within a couple hours drive, Come and hang out with us at Worldwide Technology Raceway. Place is going to be beautiful this weekend, and as mentioned, it is very, very fast when it's right, and boy, it is going to be right. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. We'll be back at you next week with all the latest and greatest and the inside stories around the world of NHRA drag racing. Oh, and if you stuck around this long, the silly season in this sport is about to get very, very busy within the next week or so. You're going to start seeing a lot of announcements. I'm not going to leak any of them yet, but let's see what we're looking like when we get going on next week's show. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week.